All right, if you could take a seat if you have not already. Go ahead and take a seat. So how many of you met someone new this morning? Say, yes, I did. If you remember their name, say, yes, I do. I met someone new there this morning, and the only reason why I remember her name is because it's my daughter's name. So that's kind of cheating, but uh, we hope that you have met someone new this morning. We are a relationally driven church, which means that relationship is something that we hold very near and dear to our hearts, and we've learned that from Jesus. Now, what we're doing as a church family is we are going to be spending several weeks talking about one of the three pillars that City Church is really based upon. We're going to be talking about real devotion. We also practice and believe in real devotion, real relationship, and real generosity. But real devotion is really the centerpiece of who we are as a church, as we follow Jesus and we serve others. And so again, what we're doing as a church family is we are focusing in on the whole idea of real devotion. The first week we took a look at the idea of the shepherds the day Jesus was born. They were the first ones to show real devotion to Christ. And what we learned from them was the whole idea of Christ being our Savior. Last week we took an in-depth look at what really the centerpiece of devotion is, and that's your heart and my heart before God. God is concerned about our hearts and we learned last week that biblically the heart is the center of who we are. And so we took a look at Jesus being Savior the first week. The next week we took a look at real devotion and the idea of our hearts being fully devoted to Christ. This week I'm going to bring a teaching on fasting. Fasting. The reason why I want to do this is fasting is something that's utilized throughout Scripture when people recognize maybe there's a distance between them and God. And so I'm going to bring a teaching this morning on fasting. What is it biblically? We're going to learn some things together. Again, I'll trust that you'll utilize the brochure. If you haven't picked it up yet, please do so as you exit. But I want to talk and teach on fasting with the understanding of real devotion. Now, when you face something in life, there's a biblical principle of fasting. I realized this morning that I did not fast and pray about something, and because of that, things did not go the way I had hoped they would. This involves two things. Number one, the Green Bay Packers lost last night. Yeah, don't clap. That's not even close to being funny. And... Um, don't take this the way, uh, the wrong way if you're a Patriots fan, but I'm praying they lose. I don't like the Patriots. Yeah, you can clap now. There you go. Well done. And uh, I think God's clapping as we say that. And then the other thing I realized is since we were in here setting up and getting the service ready in the children's environments, I understood it snowed outside. Was it snowing outside? I didn't actually see it, but I heard that, and I've prayed that we would make it an entire winter with no snow. And I did not fast and pray about it. I only prayed. Otherwise, I'm convinced Green Bay would have won and it would have been 70 degrees this morning and sunny. By the way, I grew up on a farm in Wisconsin and I've had enough snow to last a lifetime. And uh, if you've been from cold areas, you know exactly what I'm talking about. Now, when we talk about fasting and prayer, specifically fasting. What I realize is, for some of us, maybe who are newer to faith or you're just checking out faith, it can just seem like sort of the oddest things. I'm aware of this. I was sitting in a context recently where someone spoke about fasting with prayer and fasting actually was such a comfortable nature. It was just so interesting for me to observe I'm part of a team that serves over at the Darden School, and we have what's called the Faith Dialogue at the Darden School. And so we had invited someone to come and speak. Each time we meet, we have someone to come and share their story. Well, we had a very high-ranking woman who was just hired over at UVA, 
and she's running a very large chunk of the operations there. And we had heard that she was a woman of faith, so we invited her to come. And so she came over to the dining hall at the Darden School, and all these MBAs and faculty are kind of packed into the room, and it's kind of a very, you know, uppity sort of wealthy feeling area, and people are, you know, they have goals of going to Wall Street and making all kinds of money or whatever their vision of their future is, and so we're all packed into this room, and the woman gets up to give her story, and she completed her story, and when she was done, one of the students asked a brilliant question. And the student raised their hand and said, how do you know when you're supposed to make a job change? She had served at another academic institution for a couple of decades, and then for whatever reason had shifted and come here. Now, one of the reasons why I know she shifted was because she had been working at Duke. <laughs> it's just an inside how could you work for the Blue Devil? I don't understand that. I think everyone ought to leave Duke. But she had exited and had come here and was running this large department. And the question was, how do you know when to make a transition professionally? She's an extremely successful woman. And here's what she said. Fasting and prayer. And you, I'm telling you, the air left the room. I mean, literally, heads whipped up. People could not believe it. And that's literally what she said. She said, when I need to make a big decision in my life and I cannot discern what it is I'm to do next, she said, I believe in a God who, for whatever reason, causes people to fast and pray. And so she said, I begin fasting and I begin praying. And she said, by the third day, it was so crystal clear what God was asking her to do. It was a profound moment, but listen, it just seems so strange to hear someone talk like that in the bowels of the Darden School about how to make a decision about her future. But what I've understood is, is that as people of faith, this is an underutilized area that scripture speaks about it from the Older Testament all the way through the Newer Testament, and Christ practiced fasting as well. So as we look together, the question we, it would be about fasting is what is it and why do we do it? What is it and why do we do it? We do it for one reason, because Jesus fasted. I already mentioned that. What I would believe is Jesus needed to participate in it, and it's something we should participate in as well. Similarly to this woman who gave her story at the Faith Forum at the Darden School, talked about she needed to make a decision, she was in transition, and she fasted and prayed. Jesus fasted for 40 days and prayed before he stepped into his earthly ministry. There's other reasons why we would fast and pray according to the Scriptures. One is that if we have struggled to focus on God, fasting can help us with that. I know in my own life, here's a reason why. When we are facing a great challenge or an obstacle, we turn to fasting and prayer. Another one is similar to what Christ does as well as to what this lady did. When we recognize that we need direction and wisdom from God, fasting in prayer throughout Scripture is utilized to come to that place. Another one is this, is that as we deny our own natural needs, there's a heightened spiritual awareness. Another way is to humble ourselves. Another one is, is if you're facing something spiritually and you recognize you're in the midst of a struggle, Oftentimes in the Older Testament, the leaders of the people of Israel would call them to a season of fasting and prayer, that God would make a way where there seemed to be no way. And then last but not least, and I'm sure all of us can attest to this, I have used it for the fasting for this reason in my own life, and if you haven't yet, maybe you will. It's when we need to bring our flesh under submission to God. It's when we need to bring our flesh under submission to God. We're going to talk more about that in just a few moments.
The most prominent scripture that is most often looked at in all of the Bible when it comes to fasting is found in the book of Isaiah, chapter 58, verses 3 through 11. You can find that on the, in the Bibles that we provide on page 604. Again, the book of Isaiah, chapter 58, verses 3 through 11. I'm going to ask that you would just listen as I read what God says through the prophet Isaiah to the people of God. Please understand that Isaiah was the most quoted Older Testament prophet in the entire New Testament. He is the most quoted, and Jesus himself quoted Isaiah the prophet frequently. But here's what Isaiah says about true fasting. The people of Israel, the Jewish people, had a ritual of fasting where literally it was calendared oftentimes where they would move into a fast. And here's what God says through the prophet to the people of God in the midst of their fasting. I want you to listen. Yet on the day of your fasting, you do as you please and you exploit your workers. Your fasting ends in quarreling and strife and in striking each other with wicked fists. I'm assuming the people were hypoglycemic, but let's read on. God goes on to say through the prophet, you cannot fast as you do today and expect your voice to be heard on high. Is this the kind of fast I have chosen? Only a day for people to humble themselves? Is it only for bowing one head like a reed and for lying in sackcloth and ashes? Is that what you call a fast, a day acceptable to the Lord? Is not this kind of fasting I have chosen? Listen to what God says about the fast that God calls you to and me to. Here's the kind of fast that he calls us to. Is it not a fast to loose the chains of, chains of injustice, to untie the cords of the yoke, to set the oppressed free, and to break every yoke? Is it not to share your food with the hungry and to provide the poor wanderer with shelter? When you see the naked to clothe them and to not turn away from your own flesh and blood? If you have this type of a fast, then your light will break forth like the dawn and your healing will quickly appear. Then your righteousness will go before you and the glory of the Lord will be your rear guard. Then you will call and the Lord will answer. You will cry for help and he will say, here am I. If you do away with the yoke of oppression, with the pointing finger and malicious talk, did you hear that? When you do away with pointing the finger and malicious talk, that's what we're going to be fasting over the next seven days through the YouVersion Bible app. Reading on, and if you spend yourselves in behalf of the hungry and satisfy the needs of the press, then your light will rise in the darkness and your night will become like noonday the lord will guide you, you the lord will guide you always he will satisfy your needs in a sun-scorched land and he will strengthen your frame and you will be a well-watered garden like a spring whose waters never fail i like that i like the fact that god brings us instruction and he calls us to be a group of people that just don't fast for the betterment of ourselves. But that in the midst of fasting, we would identify with others around us who are in the midst of struggles. Now here's what's interesting. How could it be that a group of people would be so committed to fasting and yet their spiritual lives be so far adrift from what God wants? Here's why. Fasting involves our flesh, our flesh. So what I want to talk about now as we look at fasting is fasting and our flesh. Now I want you to do something with me. I want you to take your finger and your thumb and I want you to pinch yourself really, really hard. Actually, do that for your neighbor. Go ahead and reach over and pinch him really, really hard. Biblically, you have just pinched your flesh. 
Flesh is a biblical word in Scripture, and it's throughout the Newer Testament. It's found in the Hebrew Scriptures or the Older Testament as well. But there's an understanding that that is your flesh. It's the meat on the bones. That in and of itself is not evil. It's not something that's negative in the eyes of God. But what you find when you read throughout the Newer Testament is that this flesh, although God has created it and declared it wonderful, even though God has created the world in which we live, what we discover is that our flesh also has appetites that try to pull us away from God's best. And what we find throughout the Newer Testament is there are warnings about our flesh. The Apostle Paul in Galatians 5, 19 through 21 identifies the works of the flesh. I want you to listen to them. These are the works of the flesh. Listen, here's his list. Sexual immorality, impurity, depravity, idolatry, sorcery, hostility, hostility strife, jealousy, outbursts of, outbursts of anger, and some of us, oh, good Lord, no, is that actually in the list? Reading on, it doesn't stop there. Outbursts of anger, selfish rivalries, dissensions, factions, envying, murder, drunkenness, carousing, and similar things. In other words, if you didn't make that list, there's more to come. But ultimately, what you'll find is, is that in the Newer Testament, when the Greek word for flesh is used, the categories can be divided into one of two. The first one is the desire for control and power, and the second part where everything else falls under is the desire for self-gratification. And what you will discover if you've ever fasted and as you look in Isaiah and you think, how can people be fasting and miss it by so much? Here's why. We can fast, but as we fast, our flesh tries to battle against what we're trying to accomplish spiritually. Now, before we kind of go more into that, I want to talk briefly about Jesus and fasting. Jesus and fasting, and we're going to read a scripture together, and it's found in Matthew chapter 6. This is part of the Sermon on the Mount, which is the longest teaching, continuous teaching Jesus did. And there's one little paragraph in there, found in Matthew chapter 6, verses 16 through 18, where Jesus says the following. So he's teaching. Here's what he says. When you fast, do not look somber as the hypocrites do, for they disfigure their faces to show others they are fasting. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you fast, put oil on your head, wash your face, put on makeup, wear deodorant, comb your hair, shave your face, Brush your teeth. But when you fast, put oil on your head, wash your face, so that it will not be obvious to others you are fasting, but only your Father, who is unseen, and your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. It fascinates me that when Jesus talks about fasting, here's what he says, when you fast, not if you fast. It's a given in the Jewish life that you are fasting throughout your life. And Jesus says not if you fast, but when you fast. Don't be the type of person that when you fast, you become like this. You're at your office. Maybe it's day three and you've picked a certain type of a fast. Our brochure kind of outlines those. But maybe you've picked a fast where you're just going to drink fluids for five or six days. And it's, say, day three, and you're in the office, and someone comes in, and you put on a sad face. 
And they say, oh, how are you doing? And you go, oh, oh, I'm so hungry. And then they say, why are you so hungry? And you go, because I'm fasting so that God would move in a mighty way in my life. Not only would that sound so weird on the job, but it just comes across so awkward and prideful. And what Jesus says is when you fast, put your makeup on, do your hair, brush your teeth, wear deodorant. Don't be like the hypocrites who want everyone to know what they're doing spiritually. And listen, in Jesus' day, the leaders of the Jewish movement would go out publicly and they'd put ashes on themselves and they would sit on the streets in sackcloth and ashes and when people went by, they would look up with droopy puppy dog eyes and they would want everyone to know that they're fasting. Jesus says, don't do that. He also talks about when people gave. In Jesus' day, the religious leaders would wave their check in the air and then they would put it in for the offering or they would throw their coins so that people knew how much they gave. Jesus says, don't do that. When you give in secret and you fast in secret, your heavenly Father, who sees what is unseen, he will move on your behalf. And listen, here's what Jesus says. He says, when you fast... If you make a big deal of it so people that know, their accolades are all you get. That's it. But if you fast in secret, and what you do is between you and God, then God will reward you and he will move in ways that you would have never, ever imagined. Jesus looks at fasting as though it's something that we are going to use and something we will utilize. But as we do, remember this. How could it be that you would fast and yet you'd want someone to know why it's called the flesh? Because when the flesh loses ground through fasting, the flesh wants to gain ground in another area. And so the flesh is saying, tell someone. Look super spiritual. Look holier than thou. When you go to work today, moan and groan and hold your stomach and make, because the flesh is saying, oh my goodness, I'm losing ground over here. This person is fasting, they're praying. And so the flesh comes out on the other side and says, at least let's regain some ground through pride. And so when we fast, flesh becomes alive. And here's what I've found in my own life. When I have fasted and prayed and I have denied myself certain things, I'm going to talk about that in just a moment. When I have done that, let me tell you, when the fast is over, the flesh wants to regain all the ground that it's lost. There's something about our flesh where the compass turns us away from God. Now, as we look at this, we recognize that fasting is a very real thing. Jesus did it. He assumes that we are doing it. But I came across an Old Testament story that might help us to inform why we might want to fast. I'm not going to ask for you to turn there with me, but it's found in the book of Daniel. The book of Daniel is one of those wonderful books that has dragons and wars and serpents and it's this very fanciful prophetic book that's absolutely profound. And in that book, as you begin to read the book of Daniel in the Older Testament, what you discover is that Daniel, as you read the book, is a young man. And in Daniel chapter 1, what happens is you discover that the Babylonian Empire has conquered Jerusalem and the king Nebuchadnezzar, who's the king of the Babylonians, says, I want all the best-looking Jewish boys that are the smartest. They're good-looking, they're smart, they're from royal families. I want you to bring them into my court and for three years I'm going to train them 
give them the best of absolutely everything. They're going to have the best of my kingdom. And after those three years, these Jewish people that we have enslaved and captured, the best of the best will have allegiance to us. We will have trained them. The first thing they did was rename all of them. They lost their Jewish names and they were given Babylonian names. It was a form of assimilating conquered people groups into the Babylonian Empire. But as you read... You come to verse 8. And in verse 8 of Daniel chapter 1, the Bible says that Daniel was recruited as part of this elite kind of Ivy League corps, and he comes in and he, they have everything the king wants, and then they're brought to the dinner table. And when Daniel looks at the dinner table, here's what the Bible says he does. Daniel chapter 1, verse 8. It says, but Daniel resolved, which in some of your Bibles will read this way, Daniel purposed in his heart. Remember, the heart is the center of real devotion. Daniel purposed in his heart not to defile himself with royal food and wine, and so he asked the chief official for permission not to defile himself that way, and it says that God turned the chief official's heart and he ate a different menu. Now what's fascinating is if you read the Bible scholars as to why Daniel did not want to defile himself, some of them say it's because it was non-kosher food. That the foods that the Babylonians ate had food that Jews were not supposed to eat. There's huge discussion over that, but there's one answer that resonates with me among Bible scholars, and it's this. I want you to listen. Daniel has everything the king has to provide. Everything. And there he is in front of the table. It's got the finest food known to humankind. It is a buffet to blow your mind. And as he stands there, something in his heart says this. If you don't say no to this, you're going to lose your soul. That what is being provided for you is almost a temptation to step in and to lose your soul. And if you step into this, this is going to begin to capture you and captivate you. And if you dine at this smorgasbord day after day, you will lose your identity, you will lose your soul, and you're going to be dissolved into this Babylonian empire. That is a reason why some of us sitting here need to fast. Here's why. You have enough money to afford anything you want. God's been good to you. God has blessed you. You are moving in the midst of a blessing of God, but hear me, hear me so carefully. If God speaks to you in an area that I don't want you to participate, say no to your flesh, say no to yourself in this area, and there's no other reason other than, God says, stop. It's not sin. Other people can do that, and it's not a problem. But for you, you sense God saying, back out. Back out. Because if we sit in front of that smorgasbord and we dive in every single day, we will lose our soul. Other people might be able to eat at that table and it does not affect them. But something in your heart of hearts is telling you, back out, let that go. It's not necessarily sin, but it's something I don't want you to partake in. I remember years ago, probably 20, 25 years ago, I served as a chaplain at Princeton University. And what we did was every year we took a retreat with a bunch of college students and we would go to Amish country, Pennsylvania. How many of you have ever been to Amish country, Pennsylvania? Absolutely beautiful. And we stayed in an Amish farmhouse in Paradise, Pennsylvania. Paradise, Pennsylvania. And so as we were planning for this retreat, it was a fall retreat, and the students had gotten to know each other, and we were going to go away for a retreat. Actually, I'm sorry, it was the spring retreat, and we were getting everything ready for the retreat, and the student leaders, we got together, and he, we said, what kind of a retreat are we going to have? Here's what the students said. Well, we would like to have a fasting retreat. 
Of course, I'm thinking that's awesome. Because if you take a ton of college students, put them in a farmhouse, and you don't have to cook food for two and a half days, it just makes life so much more easy. So they literally said, they said, look, we would like to do a fasting retreat. And some of them literally said, I'm just going to drink water for two and a half days. I said, all right, that's great. So we go to Paradise, Pennsylvania. We have all the students. We're up in this farmhouse. Well, one thing that I hadn't realized was one of our students was a PhD, and his wife was pregnant. She had to cook. And she was hungry all the time. And so here we are in this farmhouse, and she's cooking like six meals a day. So we're all in there studying scriptures, being real spiritual, and no one's eating and drinking water, and, you know, bacon would waft through it, you know, and then at lunch, a cheeseburger would waft through, and then for dinner, more food would waft through, and I'm telling you, your flesh is just pulling in that direction, and we're all kind of sitting there, and we had this fasting retreat. It was a wonderful retreat. But here's one thing that I never really researched, was breaking a fast. So what do you feed college students that's easy? Spaghetti and bread. So here we are, a bunch of them had not eaten for two and a half days. By the way, the reason why they said they wanted a fasting retreat was the same reason why Daniel, I believe, said no to that table. Because a lot of them belong at eating clubs, and at eating clubs they have chefs that cook five-course meals, every single meal. They don't have fraternities or sororities at Princeton. They have eating clubs. And so I would always time my personal time with students at certain eating clubs because the food was like a five-star restaurant. I mean, they literally ate like kings at this eating club. And they said, we, would, we just feel like we need to go on a fasting retreat and just say no to ourselves. And so we did that. And so we broke our fast. And my wife would remember this with spaghetti and bread. Well, after they have not eaten for two and a half days, and you've, you basically carb load them, and so we make these big pots of spaghetti, and the Princeton students are beginning to eat them, and I'm telling you, about 20 minutes, if you look through the window, it would have looked like a cult, because half the people are kind of passed out, there's a sugar rush, the other ones are holding their stomachs, and then when we were done, my wife said to me, did you ever research how to break a fast? You ate everything that was wrong. You just don't eat any of that kind of stuff. And I remember that just so clearly. But here's what I want to tell you. When you fast, and I fast this week, the flesh wants the carb load. It wants to regain all the ground that you've lost. And most of us are going to fast about a certain thing, and we will step into a certain type of fast. And as we do that, I promise you, your flesh is going to try to regain ground somewhere else. But I can tell you personally that fasting has been a powerful, powerful tool in my own life. As I have served as the pastor of City Church, there are times where I literally didn't know what to do next. I had no idea. And the issues in front of us as a church were bigger than me. And here's my honest reality. I am borderline hypoglycemic. And so I can't really fast more than two days. If I do, I'm in the corner sucking on my thumb, seeing angels and speaking in tongues and having dreams. So I can't do that. So what I do is I go on a partial fast. And a partial fast for me is I don't eat any sweets whatsoever. I don't eat any desserts. I only drink water, and I just eat basic food. And I can remember so clearly, I was hired as the pastor of City Church, and no one really knows this, but when I was hired as the pastor of City Church, I remember being hired and then having this huge elation. Oh my goodness, God has called me to Charlottesville. I'm going to be the pastor of City Church. And I remember the excitement of that, and things came together, and all of a sudden I said, what in the world do I do next? You ever get that way? You get a job, and you go, now what am I going to do, right? You're... And I just remember God saying to me, fast. So I did. So I stepped into a fast. And that partial fast was a part of my life for 18 months. For 18 months. Here's what I can tell you. That discipline was so good for me. Man, was it good for me. 
Because every single day, something comes in front that looks sweet and it looks good. And when you look at it, you just say, you know something, there's a higher call that God has called me to. And because of that, I want to fast and trust God. I don't really know actually how fasting works, but I know that it does. And I remember saying to my wife after 18 months, I was going to my parents' house for Thanksgiving. My mom makes the best desserts in the world. Her desserts will be at the marriage supper of the Lamb when we step into heaven. They're going to be right there in the middle of the table. And I remember driving there to visit my folks, and I felt the Holy Spirit speak to me and say, your fasting is over. It's done. That was not my flesh, by the way. It truly was the Holy Spirit. But what I want to say is this. For us, a lot of us need to fast. We need it so desperately. You have found yourself in a spiritual climate and you've been there for so long. Maybe you've never even said yes to Jesus. Maybe you're sitting here and someone has invited you to be part of our service. I want to encourage you. Go to Christ and begin to fast and pray about your life. Say to him, Jesus, if you're real, I'm tired of doing life alone. I can't figure out what's next. I'm tired of living under things in my own strength. And God, what I'm going to do is I'm going to trust you and I'm going to turn to you. And in the midst of a fast, I'm going to open up my heart and my life to who you are. Others of us have been walking for, with Christ for decades. It's become routine. And last week when we talked about a heart that's filled with passion for God, you would say, my heart just really isn't there. What I want to tell you is there's biblical evidence that as we fast, we turn our hearts to God, that our hearts begin to soften towards Him. And that passion that we had for Christ begins to return. As we close out our time, we're going to take the Lord's Supper together. We're going to eat communion together. And as we eat communion together, please know that this is that meal that the disciples took so many years ago. If you're here this morning and you do not have the emblems of communion, I want to encourage you to raise your hand very quickly. We've got people that are prepared to bring communion to you. We've got some down front here that could use communion. But we're going to take communion a little bit differently this morning. The way I want us to take communion is where we would pause in front of the bread and the cup. And as we pause in front of it, we would think about how this is the Last Supper. It's the emblems of Christ's body and his shed blood. And before we partake of it together, I'm going to ask now that you would stand with me. If you're not standing already, please go ahead and stand with me. And as we stand together, that you would hold up the cup and the bread before the Lord. And as you do that, I'd like us to take just a moment in God's presence and literally holding the emblems of Christ's death, burial, and resurrection that we would bring ourselves to God and that literally Christ is between us and our Heavenly Father. And as you hold those emblems before God the Father, I want us to pause and ask God, is there something that I should be fasting and praying about? Is there something in my life that God, you would speak to me the way you did Daniel? Maybe there's an area of your life where God would speak to you and say, that's enough. Pull back from the table and trust me. Pull back, you're going to lose your soul. Maybe for others of us, you're battling with the flesh. And the flesh has been winning in some area of your life and God would speak to you by His Spirit in this moment. As you're holding the emblems of the body and the blood of Christ, that God would speak to you and say, you do not have to continue to lose. But maybe this is an area of fasting and prayer for you.
Maybe this is that moment when God would speak to you and call you to a new level of real devotion in your heart through fasting and prayer. Let's take just a moment. Before we take communion together, I'm going to ask Callie if she will just lead us through one stanza of the final worship chorus that we're going to be singing. And as she does that, would you listen to God? Open your heart to Him and say, God, is there anything that you would bring into my mind and into my heart? Let's wait on the Lord together. stand before the Lord together, I'm going to ask that you would hold the emblems up in front of you. The book of Corinthians tells us that on the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took bread and he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Let's hold the bread and give thanks together. Jesus, thank you for your broken body. Thank you that you came into this world as a part of humankind that your flesh was tempted in every way such as we are, and yet you never sinned. And so now as we hold this bread, we do so, believing that through your stripes we are healed. Let's partake of the bread together. I'm going to ask Callie if she'll sing another stanza of that worship hymn. And as she does, let's hold the cup before the Lord. tells us that after supper in the same way Jesus took the cup and after he blessed it he said this cup is the new covenant in my blood take and eat and drink and as we drink together let's remember what Christ has done for us I'm going to ask that Callie would lead us do this entire worship hymn one more time. And as she leads us through the stanzas of this hymn, I'm going to ask that you would shut yourself in before God. And that whatever commitment that you've made to Christ about fasting, whatever area that might be, that you would allow God by His Spirit to seal it in your heart. Let's worship together as Callie leads us.
thank you so much for who you are to us. Lord, I pray that you would continue to touch our hearts and our lives. I pray that each and every one of us would experience freedom and victory as we deny our flesh and we fast and we pray. Again, I ask you that the commitments that have been made in this auditorium to you over the, in these past few moments would be sealed by your spirit, that we would walk out in faith those things that we feel that you're calling us to do. I want to encourage you again as we close, if you did not pick up the fasting brochure last week, they're available for you at the welcome station as you leave. Also, as we conclude our service, that if you need prayer, if there's some area of your life that you would like somebody to pray with you and to pray for you, our prayer team is coming forward at this time. They'll be available down front. Again, if you would like prayer, please come and visit with them. They're here to pray with you and to pray for you. And now may the Lord bless you and may the Lord keep you. May he cause his face to shine upon you and may he give you peace. And all God's people said, amen and amen. You can stay and worship if you would like. If not, please slip out quietly. But let's go with worship in our hearts. God bless. Oh God, be my everything, be my delight, be Jesus, my glory, my soul satisfied. Be
stars they went the morning sun was dead the savior of the world was
Is risen, he is alive. 